Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of, of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by, na and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. We're going to be looking today at Ephesians, the second chapter. I would invite you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. We will be looking today at the first 10 verses of chapter 2 as we think about how we need Jesus in this life. There are basic fundamental needs that all of us have. Granted, some of the needs might be more properly classified as wants, but nevertheless, there are some fundamental needs that all of us have to have in order to live here on planet Earth. I think about the importance of food and water, shelter. All of us want a place to live. And then, what about clothing? We have to have something to wear. Those are just a few examples. But there is a more basic fundamental need than that. That fundamental need is Jesus. Without Jesus Christ, all is lost. And yet, in Christ, there is hope. Life, if you please. I want us to look at Ephesians chapter 2 today as we think about how much we need Jesus in this life. In order for us to appreciate the positive or the good, we have to first see the bad, the negative. And so I want us to begin by talking about the burden of being in sin, the burden of living in sin. And we think about the state of a sinner. The Bible has a lot, has a lot to say about sin. And so I would begin by asking the question, who is a sinner? Did you know that the Bible tells us that there is none righteous? No, not one. In Romans chapter 3 at verse 23, Paul would say, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The word sin literally means a missing of the mark. It's defined by John as the transgression of the law in 1 John chapter 3 at verse 4. But as we think about the concept of sin and who is a sinner, well, we know that the Bible teaches all have sinned. All of us are sinners. But what is a sinner? Sometimes it seems like it's difficult for us to identify what a sinner looks like. Well, the Bible tells us in a very graphic way what a sinner looks like. 
Let me just call attention to Ephesians chapter 2 and note some of the characteristics that are set forth in the first three verses. First of all, I would suggest that a sinner is one whose life is directed by the devil. In verse 1, Paul said, And you he has made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you walked according to the course of this world. Now listen to him. According to the prince of the power of the air. The reference there is the devil. That's, that's really who Paul is talking about. The devil was defined by Jesus in John chapter 12 at verse 31 as the ruler of this world. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4 at verse 4, the apostle Paul would characterize him as the God of this world. I want to ask you this question. Who's in the pilot's seat in your life? In other words, Who's driving your life? Who's calling the shots? Who's directing you on a daily basis? Now, I would freely grant that many people in the world who are outside of Christ, if you were to say to them, your life is being directed by the devil, they would take offense at that. They would say, you don't understand. The devil's not driving me or directing me in this life. Really, that's what the Bible teaches. Those who are living in sin, their lives are under the direction, the superintendence of the devil. But then there's a second thing, and that is that a sinner is one whose life is derailed by disobedience. Listen to him in verse 2 again. He said, In which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Have you ever seen a train wreck? Have you ever seen a train that has derailed and the carnage and the destruction that it leaves in its wake? In a similar vein, when people choose to live a life of disobedience, and it is a choice, there are only two options. We can either live in, sub, in submission to the Lord or we can just plot our own course. We can live in defiance to the will of God, in disobedience. When people choose to live in sin, their lives are a mess. Sometimes it takes individuals literally hitting rock bottom before they understand, hey, I need a better way of life. I need to make some changes. In Luke chapter 15, we read about the prodigal son. Of course, you know the story. He took an early inheritance, went out into a far country, and Jesus said he wasted his substance on riotous or profligate living. That which had been entrusted into his care was spent. Jesus said he ended up feeding with the hogs. 
His life was a mess. And Jesus said he came to himself. What happened? He had to hit rock bottom. Sometimes it takes individuals literally hitting rock bottom and saying, you know what, I need, I need a better way of life. There's a great passage of scripture in the book of Proverbs. In chapter 13, verse 15, Solomon said, the way of the transgressor is hard. Sometimes I wish I could impress that upon people. That you can live in disobedience, you can choose to live a life separate and apart from God. That's your prerogative. Boy, you can sure make a mess of things. And then there is a third thing that we need to understand. And that is that a sinner is one whose life is destined for doom. Listen, if you would, to what Paul said, beginning again in verse 1. And you he has made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. Let me tell you how sin ultimately will end. It doesn't matter what your race, doesn't matter what your age, it doesn't matter about your nationality, the ending is the same in every instance. It's death. You see, individuals who are outside of Christ, they are described by the Apostle Paul as children of wrath. In verse 1, he said, At one time you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Here's what Paul said in Romans chapter 6, verse 23. The wages of sin is death. There is a payday someday, but it's the payday you don't want. The payday is for living in sin. Because Paul said the wages of a sinful life, it ends the same every time. There is a penalty for living as you want here on planet earth. You want to live like the devil? You want to act like the devil? Let me tell you what, you can do that, but you'll pay a heavy price. Now, there's a second thing I want you to see in our study. And that is... We want to look at the blessings associated with the saved. The blessings of salvation. What about the state of the saved? What does it mean to enjoy the blessings of Almighty God? What does it mean to be a child of God? Well, Paul talks about that in verses 4 through 10. So as we think about the state of the saved, the first thing I want to call attention to is the architect of salvation. A building needs what? An architect, doesn't it? If you were going to build a house, you would have to draw some plans. Somebody would have to draw the plans for that house. By the same token, we talk about the grand scheme of redemption, God's redemptive plan. There had to be a designer. There had to be an architect. That architect 
was God the Father. So let me talk to you for just a minute about the plan of salvation. Look at verse 4. The first two words, but God. God is the grand designer of salvation. Now go back and look at chapter 1, verse 3. Listen to what Paul said. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself. Now note, according to the good pleasure of his will. God is the one behind the redemptive plan. He is the architect. He is the designer. He's the one that literally sat down with pen in hand, as we say, to draw up the plans. Now, not only is he the one who planned the salvation that we enjoy, but there are some principles. There is a platform behind our salvation. So let me just call attention to what Paul says in verse 4. But God, now note what he says, who is rich in mercy. The word mercy means active pity. God is a merciful being. Did you know that God in his mercy has reached out to the human family? And then there is another term that is used by Paul. Listen to what he says. Because of his great love, not just any love, but great love. Did you know that you and I that we are the recipients of all of the blessings and favors of God. We are the crown of God's creation. When God created the world, he created something that was good. But when he created mankind, he created something described as very good. We are the crown of God's creation. The psalmist said, speaking of man, that we have been fearfully and wonderfully made. What is it that sets us apart from the physical creation, the universe, the solar system? What is it that sets us apart from the animal kingdom? It is that we have housed within us an eternal soul. God is the being who is described as the father of our spirits. God is the one that has created us. And as his creation, he has lavished upon us his great love. When Paul described the architect of our salvation, he said, but God who is rich in mercy for his great love. Listen to Jesus in John three sixteen: For God 
so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God loves the human family. In Romans chapter 5, verse 8, but God commendeth his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. To know that God genuinely loves me. I want to ask you a question. How many people in our world today have the concept that they are unloved? That they are beyond the scope of human love? Maybe even divine love. And yet, what God is saying, what God is conveying to the human family is, look, you are something that, you are something worthy of my great love. Then note, he said, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in trespasses made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved. So, what do we have? Mercy, rich mercy, love, great love, and then grace. The unmerited favor of Almighty God. Note what he says in verse 5. Even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you've been saved, raised us, raised us up together, made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. The unmerited favor of Almighty God because of God's great love for us as members of the human family, he has reached out in an effort to save us. Now when we think about the grace of God, there are three things that comes to mind. Grace liberates, educates, and regulates. That's why Paul said in Titus chapter 2, the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to every man, instructing us to the intent that we should not live a life of worldliness, but rather we are to live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. That's what God would have us to do, to live above the world. But we talk about the architect of our salvation. But then there's a second thing, the agent of our salvation. Who is the one that executed heaven's plan? Well, look again at verse five. Paul said, even when we were dead in trespasses, God has made us alive together with Christ. Look at verse six. He has made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ. Verse 7, he has shown us the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ. Jesus Christ is the person who has reached out to save us. 
the redemptive plan fell on the shoulders of God's only begotten Son. Look at Ephesians 1 verse 7. Here's what Paul said, in him. Some translations say, in whom. Who's he talking about? He's talking about Jesus. And he's saying that it's in Jesus that we have redemption. Now that really raises another point. We talk about the person of salvation, but what about the price of our salvation? Salvation did not come cheaply. Did you know that it cost God something to save us? It cost him his son. It cost Jesus his life. So we talk about the price of our salvation. Jesus has redeemed us and he has reconciled us. Look at verse seven again, chapter one. He said it's in him that we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. And there's the concept of grace, the riches of God's grace. Back in verse six, Paul would say to the praise of the glory of his grace. Paul viewed himself as a wretched sinner. He would say to Timothy, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus has come into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Paul deemed himself a sinner. And Paul was saying to Timothy, look, Jesus came to save sinful people. There are people in our world today, they have the idea they are beyond the scope of human redemption. They have the idea there's no way God could love them. There's no way God could ever save them. How many times have you heard people say, look, you just don't understand. You don't understand where I've been. You don't understand what I've done. You don't understand how bad my life has been. I don't care how bad your life is. I don't care how deep you've been in a life of sin. God can forgive. Not only will God forgive, but God will completely transform your life. He'll give you a new life. When Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, and Corinth was an immoral city to say the least. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, Paul said, if any man be in Christ, any man, he said, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. In Jesus, everything changes. So it's in Jesus that we have redemption through his blood. Now I said that Jesus redeems us by his blood and he reconciles us in his body. In Ephesians 2 verse 16, Paul said that Jesus has reconciled both Jew and Gentile in one body unto God through the cross. Now I want you to see something. When we talk about somebody who is in sin, Paul said they are dead in trespasses and sins. The wages of sin is death. In verse 12 of chapter two, Paul would say, if you're outside a covenant relationship with God, here's your status. You are without hope, and then you're without God. But now note verse 13. He said, but now in Christ Jesus, you that once were far off 
are made near, brought near by the blood of Christ. What changes everything? The blood of Jesus. When we respond to the marvelous grace of Almighty God, what do we enjoy? Forgiveness, redemption, reconciliation. We can, we can stand in the presence of God as his children. We are saints of the Most High God. Now there's another thing I want you to see. We talk about the state of a sinner. But then what about the services of the saved? Look at verse 10. In verse 10, Paul said, for we are his workmanship. Let me just pause there and say this. If you are a child of God, let me tell you how God views you. He views you as his masterpiece. Every person, every child of God, whether rich or poor, black or white, male or female, it does not matter. If you are in Christ Jesus, you are his masterpiece. Why? Because you have been created anew in Jesus Christ. Now, what's our responsibility? Have we been saved? Absolutely. We've responded to the gospel of Christ. We enjoy the blood of Christ. We have been redeemed. We've been reconciled. We're a part of his body. So what, what responsibility do I have as a child of God? Well, look at verse 10. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. All Paul is saying here is that you and I have been saved to serve. God wants us to serve. Where? In his kingdom. He wants us to be active. He wants us to be mobile. He wants us to reach out to those in the world. Now, there are times when we reach out to those within the church but we are to also reach out to those without the church. If you look at the book of Titus, Titus talks about the grace of God that's appeared, bringing salvation to every man. Down in verse 14, he said that as children of God, those who have been the recipients of God's grace, he said, God wants us to be zealous for good works. In Titus chapter, well, in Titus chapter 3 at verse 1, the exhortation is to be ready unto every good work. That's what God wants. Well, what are some of the things that I can do as a saved child of God? I can do just what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 25. If somebody's hungry, I can give them something to eat. If they're thirsty, I can give them a glass of water. If they're a stranger, if they don't have a place to live, I can give them a place to live. If they don't have any clothes, I can clothe them. If they're sick, if they're in prison, Jesus said, we can visit them. And then we talk about taking this gospel to a lost and dying world. The greatest gift we can give anybody in our world is the gospel. Sharing the good news the gospel is good news. Why? Because it liberates. It gives us a better way of life. I want to close by saying that 
When we talk about intrinsic needs, I understand there are basic fundamental needs all of us have, but the most intrinsic need known to man is Jesus. Is Jesus a part of your life? If you have never obeyed the gospel, why not do that today? Why not begin by responding out of faith through repentance? Jesus said, except you repent, you'll all likewise perish, Luke 13, chapter, Luke chapter 13, verse 3. And then why not confess what you believe in your heart with your mouth? Confess that Jesus is the Son of God. And then willingly, submissively be baptized into Christ so that every sin can be washed away, so that you can contact the blood of Christ and God will then add you to the church. He'll put you in that divine body. And the reason you need to be in the church is because that's where the saved reside, according to Ephesians 5.23. Maybe you're here today. Maybe your life is not what it ought to be. Maybe, you, maybe you've played the prodigal son for a long time. Don't you think it's time to come home? Isn't it time to come to your senses? The new year is almost here. I want to encourage us to close out this new year, close out this year strong. If you're not faithful to the cause of Christ, why not close out this year in faith? And then start the new year off right. Close strong and start right. We, we can do that together. So we would be happy to pray with you and for you. Here's what James said. Confess your faults one to another. Pray one for another. Could we pray with you today as we stand and sing?